You are listening to a podcast from the UAB School of Nursing Health Network. Good afternoon and welcome to Clinical Pearls. I'm your host, Curry Bordelon. Today, I'm honored to have Mary Grace Cox, the Sepsis Program Manager for UAB Hospital. Mary Grace's nursing role includes coordinating quality improvement efforts to improve patient outcomes. Thank you for having us today. Thank you. Appreciate it. So as we get started talking about sepsis and your role within uh, UAB ho- uh, Healthcare uh, dealing with quality improvement initiatives related to sepsis, what is sepsis? So sepsis is basically the body's reaction to infection. Um, and it can look a lot of different ways, but it's your body's way of telling you something is not right. Um, there's always an underlying infection related to sepsis. Um, so you can't have sepsis without an infection. Um, so that's basically what sepsis is. So there are different types of sepsis, or is it only one type? Um, there, sepsis basically can um, exist along a continuum, and so there is different levels of severity of sepsis. And so you can have basic sepsis, which is which could be, um, which could look like maybe having a fever or an increased white blood cell count, or maybe even an increased heart rate. Um, and then there, it can progress to severe sepsis and even septic shock, where your organs are affected by the underlying sepsis. So you talk about severe sepsis, mm-hmm. which is quite scary to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. Um, so basically, when um, sepsis starts getting more uh, serious, your organs start to be affected. Um, and that's why we like to act very quickly with sepsis so that we can prevent it from becoming severe or even progressing into septic shock. Which is very important to be able to identify early to be able to treat effectively. Right, exactly. Can you talk about some of the clinical manifestations of sepsis? Yeah, so there's lots of different ways to identify sepsis. Um, it's very difficult though because there's not one clinical test or indicator that says this patient has sepsis. Um, and so we used a lot of we use a lot of different clinical indicators to say that this patient might have sepsis. Um, and so we use things like SIRS criteria, which are basically there might be an inflammatory response happening, um, which consists of white blood cells and things like that that it could indicate infection. Um, we could also use um, measures that might indicate organ dysfunction related to sepsis or infection. Um, and so those things would look like maybe an altered mental status. A patient might be more confused um, or a little bit more sleepy or lethargic. Um, a patient's respiratory rate might increase or their blood pressure might decrease as well. So you make mention about how difficult it is sometimes to identify sepsis or to effectively identify it so you can treat it uh, effectively. Mm-hmm. What makes it so difficult to, uh, to identify? I think because sepsis can look like so many other different clinical issues. Um, Say if a patient has multiple comorbidities where um, there's lots of things that could increase a patient's respiratory rate, right? It's not just sepsis. Um, You know, other conditions like coming in with a trauma, um, a patient's heart rate would be elevated, their white count would be elevated from the stress of the trauma. Um, And so that's what makes it difficult to identify is there's not one key clinical indicator that says this patient has sepsis. Um, And so we really just have to kind of put all the pieces together um, and communicate effectively as a team to think about sepsis critically. So how big is the problem beyond just the healthcare setting? Uh, Because I know it's quite substantial. Patients can stay in hospitals longer. They can Mm -hmm. have comorbidities. They can also have mortality rates Mm -hmm. that increase. How big is the problem uh, nationally? 
So nationally, we see over, easily over a million cases of sepsis every year. Um, as far as mortality goes, it's well over 250,000 patients a year die from sepsis in the United States. So it is a significant public health issue in the United States and globally, too. Do you know how many of those patients uh, were in treatment at the time of, the ses of sepsis? I don't know off the top of my head, but I could bet that a lot of them were. Um, once we start treatment for sepsis, there's odds are that we'll have good patient outcomes, but sometimes we don't recognize it as early as we should. Um, and so that's where we see, you know, some changes in mortality when there's late recognition um, after identifying the source of infection. So for most of those patients who have sepsis or have identified uh, mm -hmm. sepsis, are they already currently patients within a healthcare facility or system? or they come into facilities uh, with already sepsis? Mm -hmm. uh, from my experience and from looking at um, within the health system of um, UAB, 80% uh, of the patients that we treat with sepsis um, come in with, to the hospital with sepsis. So they've developed it in the community and they're coming to the hospital already septic. Uh, the other 20% of patients develop sepsis in the hospital, or we would call sepsis not present on admission, um, but the overwhelming majority have sepsis as soon as they hit the door, um, typically of the emergency department. Are there certain populations that are more at risk uh, when it comes to being susceptible to sepsis? Yeah, we see that, um, of course, the old and the young um, typically are at risk for a lot of different things. Their immune systems might not be working the same um, as maybe someone in their 20s to 40s to 50s. Um, we also see, of course, patients that don't are, are not able to mount an appropriate immune response. Um, so patients with cancer that might be on chemotherapy or immunotherapy, um, or patients that have rheumatologic disorders that might also be um, on medications that might impair their uh, immune system to work effectively. So we we know you know in in, uh, in the United States we talk quite frequently about uh, you know antibiotic use mm -hmm. and overuse or underuse of antibiotics mm -hmm. certain, um, during certain disease processes or infections mm -hmm. and so forth. How do we, how can we distinguish when is too many antibiotics enough and how mm -hmm. does that play into the risk for sepsis? Yeah, that's a really difficult balance and one that we talk a about a lot in healthcare. Um, I think that, of course, antibiotic stewardship is very important um, and something that you know, physicians and pharmacists are constantly communicating about, you know, trying to make sure that we don't mount resistances to antibiotics. Um, but on the flip side, if, um, if your provider, you know, if you're a patient and receiving antibiotics or if you're a healthcare provider administering antibiotics, um, we want to make sure that we deliver the full dose of antibiotics um, to make sure that the infection is completely eradicated. Um, and a lot of times we'll see, you know, patients say, oh, I feel better, so I don't feel like I need to finish my antibiotics. But we always want our patients to finish their antibiotics to prevent the likelihood of sepsis, prevent the likelihood of sepsis developing. So based on your role, you deal with a lot with quality improvement mm -hmm. initiatives uh, specifically related to infections mm -hmm. and sepsis mm -hmm. at UAB uh, Hospital. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about that, that function, that yeah. role that you have. Yeah. Um, so as a nurse, I function um, among a team of other nurses that works on other various conditions, um, but I'm all sepsis all the time, so I work just on sepsis. Um, there's, we have another sepsis coordinator now um, that works with me, um, and we work under our director who guides us 
us in quality improvement principles um, to address some items that are specific to sepsis. Um, but one of the biggest things that helps us in that journey is engaging with a multidisciplinary team. Um, so nurses, pharmacists, uh, physicians, advanced practice providers, PCTs, um, all to get their input on how their workflow is affected by the things we put in place. Um, and so we use feedback from them. We do you know, lots of observations of what goes on in the clinical setting um, to make sure our patients are getting the best care and that our staff are set up for success for delivering the best care. Let's spend a little bit of time talking about teamwork. You yeah. mentioned something very important because mm -hmm. something of this substantial uh, impact mm -hmm. has to have the team approach, especially Absolutely. the interprofessional interdisciplinary uh, team approach. Let's talk about some of the strengths and weaknesses and how you, have you been able to overcome some of the obstacles with team function? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, so I can say from my clinical experience, and I think this would be similar for a lot of other nurses and really any other um, healthcare provider, um, is that we often operate in silos. So physicians will work with other physicians to deliver care. Nurses will work with other nurses to deliver care. Um, but we see the best outcomes um, when we come together as a team to deliver effective care uh, and safe patient care. Um, and so one of the things um, that we always stress is for um, a multidisciplinary approach to sepsis. Um, and so we use a lot of different tactics um, to encourage teams to work together in that fashion when normally they might not. Excellent. So can we talk a little bit about whenever someone presents to the facility mm -hmm. uh, with presumed sepsis or possible sepsis, mm -hmm. do you have any sort of uh, protocol or guideline? How does, how does that, what does that enact? What, what series of events occur after that? Yeah. Um, so kind of the first uh, line of defense is the recognition piece. And so depending on where the patient enters the hospital, whether they come through the emergency department, if they're an outside hospital transfer, um, we have a set of screening tools that help staff identify sepsis early. Um, these screening tools, similar to how we diagnose sepsis, are not perfect, and so they don't always recognize it. Um, but we do have them in place to help staff think sepsis as soon as the patient walks in the door. Um, and so we use a screening tool in the emergency department and in the acute care setting called QSOFA, um, which in the literature says that it helps identify sepsis earlier. Um, and it looks at several different criteria that the nurse can quickly assess um, right at the bedside. So how does the training occur? So whenever mm -hmm. you, you want to uh, you want to activate your, the protocol, you want to mm -hmm. make sure all, all different entry points are aware of the recognition mm -hmm. of sepsis early to be able mm -hmm. to activate the, the specialized team. Mm -hmm. How do you get that information to those entry points? Right. Um, so we do have a process called code sepsis. So when sepsis is recognized, whether using the screening tools we have in place or just the clinician's just general intuition about, I think my patient is septic, um, we deploy code sepsis, which brings a critical care nurse and physician and a pharmacist to the bedside um, to partner with the primary team to deliver care. Um, and so as far as training um, and educating, educating in a place like UAV is really difficult because it's so large. Um, but we've teamed up with our um, colleagues in the Office of Interprofessional Simulation at UAB um, to really get a more hands-on learning experience for how to um, engage the code sepsis process um, and follow it through and really touches a lot on the teamwork and communication that we talked about before. Um, and so that is one of the ways that, um, that I think is the most effective way to deliver that information. Um, and then, you know, of course, we use a lot of different other tactics 
um, to get that information to the staff that need it. You touched on something very important, especially mm -hmm. in uh, healthcare and, mm -hmm. and academic centers mm -hmm. such as uh, AB, about the use of simulation. Mm -hmm. Can we talk a little bit more about simulation and how that has helpful for you mm -hmm. when it comes to this specialized area? Yeah, absolutely. So like I said, I think it is our very, um, the most effective way to deliver education within the sepsis structure currently. Um, you know, we partner with our um, colleagues in simulation to design the case um, specific to what the learners typically encounter in their clinical area. Um, so if we're educating um, medical nurses, we want to use a medical case with a medical issue as opposed to surgical. Um, and so we select learners that typically work together. So nurses and residents and PCTs would come together um, and work through that case together. Um, we've uh, partnered on a specific project called Tabletop Simulations, where it's more of a discussion around a table um, about the care of a septic patient. And we also um, utilize the electronic medical record so that they can practice using the medical record as they're caring for their septic patient. So it's really effective way of educating um, adult learners specifically. And what kind of outcomes are you seeing with this training? Um, so from the data that we collected um, about a year ago, we did see that our providers, so our nurses, or excuse me, our um, advanced practice providers and our residents use the standardized order set more frequently. Um, and we actually saw better patient outcomes. So there was decreased mortality within the set um, of patients that are typically cared for by those providers. Um, and so we saw great outcomes um, kind of objectively and even just subjectively reading the comments on the evaluation forms. They say, I like this way of learning. I like a hands-on high touch way of learning. Um, and so we're working to expand that to other areas of the hospital. So we talk a lot about the role of nurses. Mm -hmm. And I wanna get back in just a few minutes to talk a little bit more about QI, but we talked mm -hmm. about nursing uh, a little bit as we, as we've, during our discussion mm -hmm. here. Tell me a little bit more about the importance of nursing in this whole process. Yeah, um, well, of course, nursing is key in this process. Nurses are the ones, I think, that spend the most time with the patient uh, throughout a shift. And so they're gonna be the first ones to notice a change. Um, so I think really nursing along with our patient care technicians when we have them um, are really, you know, kind of that front line of, do I think my patient is septic? Um, and so getting that information from the PCTs for the nurses to analyze um, is critical. Um, so there's the recognition piece that's so um, integral for nurses to understand um, and to critically think about, um, but then there's also the escalation piece. So I have this information, I think my patient is septic, what do I do next? Um, and so having the confidence um, and the clinical judgment to escalate to the next level, so calling your provider, calling a code sepsis, um, and being confident in that is something that we're really trying to, um, to educate our nurses about. So how receptive are the other, not necessarily just the, the sepsis team, because yeah. obviously they're, mm -hmm. they're quite in, in, involved in, in this process, but others around not in part of the team, how are they, how receptive are they to that escalation element? Yeah, um, I think it varies like anything else. I think that sometimes, um, you know, clinicians might wonder, well, this is my patient. Why did you escalate care without me? Um, but I think, and this is something that we touch on in our simulations quite a bit, um, is people's mindset about escalation. Um, and so I think that when initially you might think, well, why did you escalate without talking to me first? Um, it turns more into, okay, well, you needed someone right then and there, and I wasn't available, so I'm glad that you did escalate. Um, but then other people are just really glad that there were other, you know, hands and eyes there ready and willing to assess the patient. 
Um, another great thing about our response system for sepsis is that it's bringing critically care trained staff to the bedside. Um, and so typically on an acute care floor, you know, they can't deliver um, the same type of care that a critical, critically care trained clinician can. And so once they see the value in that, once they kind of see that process, either in simulation or in real life for the first time, I think that's really helpful. Are there any barriers that you can think of that potentially might slow down that activation process or keep someone from escalating mm -hmm. the sepsis concern? I think, um, I think what I hear most often, um, especially from nurses, is, well, I just wasn't quite sure. I wasn't 100% um, confident this patient has sepsis. Um, and I understand that. I mean, I've been a bedside nurse. I totally get that. And um, what I like to stress to nurses is that nobody is ever sure of sepsis. Um, we're not sure until we have a confirmed, you know, blood culture or whatever the source of infection is um, that the patient was actually septic. And so um, even if you might not feel confident that you can, you know, accurately diagnose this patient effectively, nobody else is either. Um, and so we just like for our staff to have a very low threshold for escalation because the worst thing that it can do is say this patient isn't septic and that's it. Right. Um, but odds are, even if the patient isn't septic, something clinically is changing with that patient that needs to be addressed. Um, so if it's not sepsis, it's something else that needs to be taken care of. Some other sort of uh, complication that might yeah. be masking itself. So either exactly. way, the patient receives addition, you know, the care that they need based on mm -hmm. uh, those findings. Yeah. It's very interesting to hear how integrated it is into units, how accepted uh, it is and so forth. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, there's barriers like we have sure. with all clinical uh, issues mm -hmm. uh, to that, whether it be escalation or whether it be any other type of uh, um, uh, clinical situation. Mm -hmm. What kind of resources do people have outside of the healthcare system? Because you have a very robust training system, mm -hmm. training process, simulation and so forth, uh, and an escalation process. Mm -hmm. But what happens to other facilities who don't have that well-scripted uh, or well-designed opportunity? How, how can they get resources to be able to improve their sepsis rates? Yeah. Um, so I, I know that the CDC always has great um, information about sepsis for caregivers, for providers, um, and for patients as well. Um, and then also the Sepsis Alliance um, is a great organization that provides education material for healthcare providers and for patients and families. Um, the founder of the Sepsis Alliance, his daughter actually was a victim of sepsis several years ago um, from a procedure that she had. And so the founder of that, um, of that organization is 100% um, dedicated to decreasing sepsis-related deaths in the United States. Um, and so those are some great resources if someone um, wanted to access those on their own. Are there just uh, certifications or education that could be focused beyond just inside, internally? Mm -hmm. uh, informal uh, certifications that you can obtain from infectious for uh, infectious disease in general? Mm -hmm. Not that I know of for nursing specifically. That sounds really cool, though. Um, <laughs> I'll get right on that. Um, that sounds really neat. In but there's Yeah, exactly. Um, but there's lots of resources online. There's so many articles in different nursing and quality and medical journals about those kinds of things. Um, I don't know that there's a specific certification as of right now. Um, but there's so much information out there on kind of the pathophysiology of sepsis and how, um, how to treat it effectively. Can we talk a little bit how you might incorporate families? 
Uh, how do you involve families mm -hmm. in this process? Yeah, um, so last year we did a project with specifically patient family education um, and found that oftentimes the patient is focused on just getting better. Um, they're kind of overwhelmed with the healthcare environment. So we really focus on the families um, and the caregivers for you know watching out for signs and symptoms of sepsis. Um, because one of the, the signs and symptoms of sepsis could be confusion. And so we need to rely on these family members that know their, you know, their spouse or their, you know, their child or their parent well enough to say something isn't right. Um, and then arming them with the confidence to call their doctor and say, I'm concerned about sepsis. Use the word sepsis, even if you don't know for sure. Um, say, I'm concerned about sepsis. And that will definitely kind of uh, kick things into action a lot more quickly. Thank you. Um, so as, as we continue to talk about sepsis and how it affects patients, uh, inpatients, and so forth, mm -hmm. after that patient is treated, uh, what type of long-term complications might patients see? Yeah, um, so there is something called uh, post-sepsis syndrome, which we don't know tons about, um, but we have seen that um, there can be some long-term consequences from having sepsis and especially from having severe sepsis or septic shock. Um, one of, unfortunately, the, a pretty common uh, complication with sepsis is amputations um, from being on, say, vasopressors for a long period of time um, or even from just having poor perfusion to your extremities. Um, so that's certainly an unintended consequence um, of having sepsis. Um, other things can be just kind of confusion, lethargy, uh, other things like that where the patient just doesn't feel like themselves. Um, and that can continue for quite a long time. Excellent. So we have a question from our audience. Can you tell us more about if this is a nurse-driven process or provider-driven process? That's a great question. We've set this up to be primarily a nurse-driven process. Um, we know that our nurses are truly on the front line in and out of their patients' rooms all day for 12 hours a day. Um, and so we wanted to arm them with the tools to be able to escalate on their own. Um, but certainly anyone can call a code sepsis, a provider, an APP, whomever. Um, but this truly is a nurse-driven process at UAB. Excellent. So uh, most conferences uh, have some elements of pharm pharma you know, pharmacy mm -hmm. uh, along with some infectious disease uh, type um, of con you know, breakout sessions and mm -hmm. so forth, mm -hmm. especially for that are population specific. Uh, have you ever participated in some of these conferences where uh, you spread some of the great work that you're doing and talked about um, some of the activities? Uh, so we are actually going to a conference uh, this month, just in a couple weeks, we're going to Las Vegas to present on uh, the simulation project that we've done. Um, we, uh, a couple of years ago, my colleagues um, presented on the code sepsis process itself at the same kind of conference. Um, and we're looking forward to going back to that conference again. There's a lot of great sessions there. What kind of reception did you get from the participants? Um, I think that they are particularly impressed that it is a nurse-driven process, truly. Um, and then also that we do screen so frequently for sepsis. Um, at other organizations, um, I think that it's closer to maybe every 12-hour screening, so maybe once a shift or a handoff. Um, but at UAB, we screen every four hours, um, which catch, you know, catches some changes in vital signs that we might not otherwise identify. Excellent. So we have another couple questions from our audience. Mm -hmm. Have you seen a decrease in overall mortality? Yes. Um, 
directly after we initiated the code sepsis process back in 2016, um, we saw an increase, of course, in the utilization of the processes that we put in place. So using the code sepsis escalation pathway um, and utilizing the standardized order set for the providers. Um, and with the increases in those processes, we saw a decrease in mortality and the number of sepsis-related deaths. Um, and, you know, as many things that, you know, the longer we get from when they were pushed out, process utilization might creep down a little bit. Um, and we saw, you know, a subsequent increase in our mortality again. And so that's something that we've used to really say, hey, this process works. And then when we use it, we do see great outcomes with it. That's excellent. Yeah. So the last few minutes that we have together, mm -hmm. uh, any last minute words or any other resources that you want to provide? Yeah, um, I would say for nurses and nursing students, um, escalate and be confident. Um, think critically, um, you know, don't just use the screening tools that you have, but escalate confidently. Um, and then for patients and family members, I would just say also the same thing, escalate to your physicians early. Excellent. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining thank us you. today. I appreciate it. And thank Thanks for listening to Clinical Pearls from the UAB School of Nursing Health Network. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. This podcast is also available in video form at youtube.com forward slash C forward slash Nursing Network.